Welcome to IB Voices. For this Asia-Pacific series, Supporting Student Wellbeing Staying at Home in the Asia-Pacific Region, we've invited Priyanka Malhotra and Dr. Angela Donahue to share with us more on the topic. I'm your host, Steve Wisher, IBWS Manager for Australasia. Today, we're reflecting on the transition back to school for students and considering tips and strategies to support anxious children as they re-enter the school environment. We're very fortunate to have two psychologists join the podcast today to discuss how parents and schools can support students and create the conditions which may best enable a smooth and successful transition back to -to face-to-face teaching and learning. Thanks to our guests for their time and for sharing their expertise and insights with schools. So without further delay, I'd like to introduce our two panellists or guests today. First, counselling psychologist, Pre Malhotra. Thank you, Pre, for coming on today. Psychologist, Dr. Angela Donahue. Thank you and welcome both to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Steve. No problem. Do you mind sharing your areas of expertise and current roles working with students. Perhaps Ange, if you start first. So I'm a counselling psychologist and I work primarily with children and young people in private practice, but also together with Priyanka at Catholic Care, which is an organisation that provides counselling and support to young people and their families often around school refusal or school anxiety or school reluctance. My PhD was in trauma. It was actually conducted over in Croatia and Bosnia and looking at the effects of trauma on children and young people and their sense of identity and meaning. And I've got a keen interest in working with young people and their family systems at large. Pray. Well, I have a background in counselling psychology, so I'm a counselling psychologist. I've been working in private practice for the last few years, and as Angela said, we work together at Catholic Care in Melbourne. Catholic Care is actually a family services social agency that does, you know, family counselling, court-ordered counselling, refugee support programs, and so we do work with a lot of families who've experienced trauma. My special interest in school refusal, I think, started many years ago and perhaps coming out of my own childhood experience of attending school, I went to boarding school and never had the option of ever missing school. So I think there's a little bit of envy there when I hear school refusal in reluctance. (laughs) And so that's my interest there. I was just wondering, with the current situation with COVID-19 and significant events across the world going on, what challenges are students facing now that might cause anxiety. You're right. These are just such unusual times and context and place in history for not just children and young people, for families and you know society as a whole. There are so many challenges. I've been reading a lot about this reverse culture shock or re-entry mm-hmm. syndrome that is similar to what they've researched that explorers living in Antarctica and those sorts of things that when they come back into normal life there's this period of adjustment that can range between one month to six months that actually is really really challenging for them and the usual coping strategies don't always come into play quick enough 
you know, increased anxiety about things that were never really a problem beforehand, like seeing large groups of people that can become really quite severe in that re-entry. And I think that's something that we all need to be considering when we look at young people coming back into schools. So they might be struggling to get back into everyday life. In Australia, there's been two months of isolation, maybe longer in other parts of the world. They've been living at home in their comfort, in their little bubble. And after that initial period of perhaps fear and shock, they actually became very comfortable with this new arrangement. I think now expecting them to immediately adapt back into society and that fear to immediately dissipate is possibly a little bit unrealistic. My work with lots of young people who have actually been suffering with chronic anxiety and also forms of obsessive compulsive disorder, you know, sometimes for many, many years, they've actually found this period fantastic. And they've related back to me saying, wow, for once the rest of the world can see what it's like to be me. <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> washing their hands. You know, for some people, the anxiety may have dissipated in this bubble. However, the challenge of getting them outside that bubble is now even greater. It's interesting. It's almost like a third culture kids type of situation that, that many of our international school kids returning to their homelands face but all of a sudden everyone's faced with that that's been in isolation. It's a really interesting parallel. I think I'll echo exactly what Angela did. And I think yeah. these are unprecedented times. We're not prepared for these times. And it's quite normal for all of us to feel a sense of worry and anxiety to some extent. And I think that's what we're going to see with a lot of children returning back to school. Their schools are going to look different, feel different and function different. So we can expect a little bit more of the uneasiness settling in yeah. and difficulty returning back into daily routines and um, schedules. So it's definitely a long-term view that schools have to take and having a plan in place will help that integration back into the new normality, I suppose. We mentioned anxiety and anxiety comes up in lots of conversations. So I was wondering just from your point of view, while I've got the experts here, what is anxiety? And what is anxiety causing in our kids? Well, I think it's important to distinguish between anxiety and just a sense of worry. You know, worrying is a natural response to challenges, you know, danger or unfamiliar situations that we find ourselves in. Whereas anxiety, on the other hand, is a little bit more heightened worry to unrealistic dangers. And it could be something as simple, you know, as being scared of doing a presentation, you know, because something might happen or returning back to school, for instance, after two months, not knowing, you know, how we're going to settle back in, how we're going to cope with the workload. So I think that there's going to be an importance for all schools and parents to distinguish between are their child or are their children feeling worried or are they anxious of returning back to school? Because both these thoughts are going to lead to some level of reluctance and refusal getting back into school. So in that environment, how can parents best support students returning to school? That's a really good question, Steve. And, you know, I think we've always got to be mindful of the challenges that families face. You know, there's very different models of families around and, you know, parents working. There are so many demands on families at the moment and 
you know, often also as a result of this, there may be losses in the family, there may be loss of employment. So keeping a compassionate view of the challenges that face parents as well is really important. But look, I think reinforcing the need for parents to actually, if they can, reflect with their child. Something as simple with a small child of saying, what are you most worried about when you return to school? And I've actually had the experience with someone recently where, you know, their grade one child was just saying, I can't go back, I'm too nervous. And with the parent just opening up that, what are you worried about? It was very interesting because they got 15 different things. Well, I'm worried about my dog catching coronavirus and then I'm worried about my dog giving it to the guinea pig and it sort of went on from there. But once they had it out there and they named it, that naturally reduced the child. So just number one, talk to them about it because once they've got it out, you know, it sort of reduces the power of that fear. The other thing is obviously there's all the things around structure and routines and giving them plenty of warnings. So, you know, some people are saying for primary school age children have a countdown of days until they return to school, give them very clear signposts about, you know, what we'll be doing, even visuals around starting to get the uniform out, hanging up on the wall, mm -hmm. making sure their bags out and packed all that basic organisation things, but they also reduce that, you know, shock and it's talking about it all the time. You know, you're going back to school, it's a safe place. They're going to be doing lots of disinfectant. The teachers are worried about your health as well. I think the other thing is we do need to be teaching the children to keep physical distance and, you know, the safe ways of interacting now. This is a new age you know there won't be any hugging your friends and rolling around in the playground so you know give them hand sanitizer in their school bag if you can little things like that tell them you know all the things about singing happy birthday to you while they wash their hands so that they know that they've washed their hands for long enough those things actually empower them to make them feel less anxious and have some control keeping a open line of communication with your teacher. Parents often will know if they've had instances of perhaps, you know, early stage anxiety or even full-blown anxiety and school refusal in the past. Now they are the young people that teachers need to have that line of communication with parents and have a planning action. You know, if it gradually looks as if this anxiety isn't dissipating in the lead up to return to school, keeping in contact with the school, finding out, you know, together how they can support this young person and having a back to school plan is probably key as well. You know, you want to encourage young children and adolescents returning back to school to keep maintaining their social connections with their peers. And that also reinforces that return to school coming up very close by and helping them connect back into routine again at school, maintaining friendships, you know, seeing how are their friends coping with return to school. The other thing to keep in mind with younger children, I think it'll be helpful for them to look at return to school as a fun thing, you know, maybe write something up for their teacher, maybe do a drawing, just helping them build that bridge of connection back into school. And you want to do this really early, not two days before getting back to school. So I think that will be very helpful. 
And I guess there's those older students too, like the, the year 11s and 12s that have got anxiety for other reasons. Is there anything specific that perhaps parents could do there to ease some of that anxiety? As parents, I think it's important to remain calm. You want to remain connected to your young child. You want to understand what is their experience? How are they feeling? You want to ask more curious questions and reach out to perhaps professionals for some help. Your child might benefit with having a counsellor talk to them around what are they experiencing? What are their worries about returning back to school? You know, I have to stress this is very unprecedented times for year 11s and 12s for VCE. We were never prepared to take a break in the middle of the year. Naturally going to be a little worried about their future. So I think we, as a team with schools, parents, professionals, we need to be very mindful on how we're going to help them, um, support them and get them to the other side of maintaining that contact with their education and helping them feel motivated enough to return back to school. I'd agree with that, Pre. I would say to parents, you know, especially with year 11 and 12 students, don't be afraid to seek the help of a professional psychologist if your child is experiencing anxiety and get in sooner rather than later. Okay, so we've explored what it's like from the parent's side. When we look at teachers and schools, how can teachers create the conditions that best support students in this current environment? It's important to keep in mind, again, we're coming out of something very traumatic, adults and children. So I think for schools, it's very, very important to keep in mind, the first thing is be prepared to be flexible and adaptable as children yeah. are returning back to school, much more than we've ever been. You know, you want to be very much trauma-informed, so flexibility and adaptability are very, very key supportive techniques. You might want to also focus on communicating much more with the parents and you know through your regular channels whether it's newsletters emails telephone contact with parents keeping them informed about what are the changes that are going to be occurring at school what protocols and processes are going to change this allows parents to be prepared but also allows parents to prepare their young children you know this is very important in the case of children who are very anxious even children, you know, with ASD, for example, mm. on the spectrum, I think they need some sense of predictability and consistency. So it's key for schools to keep parents informed so that parents can keep their children informed and prepared for their return to school. The other thing I think for schools to keep in mind is this is a new opportunity for them to renew their relationship with parents. This is a fresh start from a very difficult time. And you want to be more collaborative with parents. You want to be more mindful of what is this family experience during the lockdown? You know, it could be a loss uh, of a loved one. It could be losses of job, financial difficulties. It could be a family violence situations. You want to be very, very collaborative with families. Don't overload them. Try and understand what their experiences have been. Be mindful of how you communicate with these families. The other thing also might be to keep identify students who you think might struggle returning back to school. Pick up those kids early, you know, call up and check in with them, prepare them for their return to school, you know, write them an email around what is their timetable going to look like, perhaps invite them to come to school a bit earlier on the day so that it gives them extra time to settle in. I think that would be helpful. 
Yes, I agree with everything that you've said. I guess it's welcoming the young person back into that sense of school community is really big as well because they're sort of grieving the loss of their little bubble as I keep referring to but it's welcoming and embracing all those things that they did love and they were immersed in in the school community that's going to bring them back in and I think we've got to keep in mind as well that a lot of these young people you know perhaps they were playing two or three sporting Mm. activities a week basketball and they've lost all of that so this is an opportunity to be I guess many things to young people now that they are missing from their lives and from the outside world as a result of COVID. A lot of that social connection that everybody needs, we as human beings thrive on, is going to now be coming from your school. I guess that in order to make that happen too, the wellbeing piece within the workplace at the school is really important too, because in order to have that happy connected environment within the school you've got to make sure that your leaders your teachers are feeling as though they're appreciated and happy within the workplace environment as well so there needs to be a bit of work in that space I would assume as well definitely Steve obviously there are demands and pressures in terms of the curriculum and education and what's required but if there's any flexibility in terms of focus on the well-being for at least the short term with students, I think you will reap the benefits. Well, in a previous podcast that we had, you know, some of the advice from teachers was exactly that. You know, being in unprecedented times, we need to be as flexible as possible across year levels and so forth to address this first and the curriculum and so forth second and make sure that kids, teachers, leaders, everyone within the school community, the broader school community are all fine first and then we address curriculum outcomes and so forth. So that's great advice. That's fantastic, Steve. As, you know, kids go back to school, how can families continue to monitor and support children at home? That's a really good question, Steve. And a lot of the parents that I've been speaking with, their biggest concern is how do I get my child off their tech addiction after being in lockdown. Like, I'm not joking, you know. There are lots of parents who, you know, obviously they're working from home, their children are doing some schoolwork, and then, you know, the Xbox or PlayStation or iPad or whatever it is takes over. Again, this is going to be very challenging. It is really about a gradual reduction of young people's screen time, their gaming, and encouraging them, even in the guise of little daily tasks. Oh, could you come and help me do the grocery shopping this afternoon? Getting them away, doing anything you can to break that addiction to their technology. It's really interesting because some parents are very, very anxious about this. And I keep reminding them that little Johnny or whoever wasn't addicted to prior to COVID, you will be able to manage this coming out of COVID. It's about giving them alternatives at the moment. It may mean taking them out for an ice cream at your local ice cream parlor or doing something that becomes a little bit more appealing. And also obviously the big thing is bedtime routines as well. So I think lots of families, their sleep schedules have gone out. So keeping good sleep hygiene is where, you know, that's going to be key. 
what I've been doing a lot with my young people is encouraging them to gradually start getting up that little bit earlier and getting everything organized and hopefully their sleep routines will adjust. They'll be getting off their tech a good two hours before they want to sleep. Yeah, just to echo what you're saying, and I completely agree. I think you're asking parents to be consistent and support a routine for all young children in their preparation back to school, which I think is very important. It helps build that routine back for sleep hygiene, but also meals. You know, a lot of children sitting back at home at the moment are not eating all their meals as you know, you would normally do. So just bringing all of those routines back gently. Being mindful that I think, you know, your child might be anxious as we were discussing earlier. So being very calm is important. Being empathetic towards your children is very important. You want to be more understanding of what it's like, what are they finding difficult so that you can work with them towards developing a new routine or adjusting their routine as they return back to school. It's also important to collaborate with the school staff, the teachers, the well-being, to keep them informed around you know, how difficult it is for this young person returning back to school. I think parents identify it very early and it'll be helpful for them to communicate it to the school so that they are prepared. So schools are prepared in supporting this young person coming back. It really sounds like it has to be a partnership between parents and schools. There needs to be a lot of conversation that goes on back and forth. And I think schools, to their credit, are doing a lot of preparation in terms of that partnership response that's going to take place. And they're aware that there will be a number of anxious students and even sometimes those students that appear to be confident in going back into school. They may appear to be confident at school, but they may get valuable information from parents at home that might be contrary to that belief. So it's very important, that communication. I certainly agree. And it's a collaborative approach to supporting a young person. You've got to have their parents at the table. You've got to have their teachers and you know, principals or well-being on the table. Work in the best interest of this young person returning back to school or any other difficulty. So... Having that collaboration is so important to support a young person. Yeah. And I think we've seen a lot of the online models that schools have taken up, that those that are more collaborative-based and so forth have reaped the rewards over time because they tend to connect people a lot better than just sort of running a classroom all day or the opposite of just handing out a couple of challenges and see you next week type of things. Those that are more collaborative and connected throughout the day and connecting different people and different groups and so forth have been fantastic. I'm wondering what services can families and schools access in addition to perhaps what's available within a school? So if parents are concerned, and this does appear to be something that with time it's not resolving and they're having lots of struggles with their young person, even as simple as I can't get them out of bed, they won't go. You can obviously, through access a mental health plan, through a GP and see a private psychologist in private practice, both Priyanka and myself work in private practice. There are avenues such as Headspace that also provide counselling. And Priyanka and I also are both involved with the school refusal program at Catholic Care, which is a statewide organisation that provides individual but also family-based counselling to support young people and their families 
when they're experiencing school anxiety or school refusal type behaviours. And look for Catholic carers, there's no mental health plan required. It's simple as making a phone call to the head office and they'll take some details, perhaps put you on a waiting list and, you know, see if you're eligible. I think the important part to keep in mind as well is if you're noticing any serious signs of concern, so anything that you're really concerned about, it's important to get help. Amazingly, at the moment on Kids Helpline, there is live chats. They can always phone Kids Helpline. I would give that to the child immediately or the young person. There's also Beyond Blue have got live group chats, individual chats, web chats. So get some help immediately. Obviously, if it's dire and you are aware that this is a really threatening situation for your son or daughter, call triple zero or go into emergency and take them in there. The important message there is get help as early as you possibly can. And probably, you know, people should have that in their mind as to who they can contact and where. It's not something that occurs to somebody else. You know, people need to be aware of those contacts that they have within their local context. Reaching out to your GP is always, you know, and it might be just a small chat with your GP around how you're feeling and they can recommend other local contacts. So I think internationally that sort of might be the model. I'm not familiar with some of the online services outside of Australia and I have to acknowledge that. Start with your GP. Start with the person who knows you best. And that might be the beginning of the help and support you can bring in. Yeah, great advice. So I was just wondering if you had any further tips or strategies for schools or school leaders as we're coming back. This is the last question that we're looking at. I think it's going to be a long road to recovery in a way. And I think it's important for schools to keep in mind that anxiety presenting in a student or a young person can look very different from child to child. And it's very, very easy to miss anxiety in the school context. It presents itself sometimes as behaviours such as anger, frustration, reluctance, refusal, and argumentative fidgety. So you want to be very, very focused on understanding what is happening for this young person. Be empathetic, be calm. And I keep stressing on the fact it's important to be calm because you're going to trigger this young person if you're not calm. And their trigger could be in each of the, you know, flight, fight and freeze response. And they're not going to be able to cope. So be very mindful that each young person, the anxiety is going to look very different. There's no one model. And I suppose that advice expands right across the school community in your conversations with parents who may be highly anxious for a variety of reasons, in leadership conversations with teachers who may be highly stressed and anxious for a variety of reasons. And I think we need to take a step ladder approach to working out how to support each person. You want to you know, support them in small steps. We're not yeah. going from no school to full attendance within a week. Yeah. Going gradually. And that's very important. It builds a little bit of consistency, a little bit of predictability and safety for this young person getting mm. back to the school environment. Thank you so much for a really good conversation that I'm sure will be of great benefit to teachers. 
visit our website where you can subscribe to YB Voices so you'll never miss another episode. Stay tuned for our next episode.